Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 1201 podcast. I'm Callum Roper, and this week I am joined by what Ollie Walwyn. Hello, everyone. I'm joined by Callum Watt. Good evening. And Mr. Bradley Allsop. Hi, folks. So, in what has been a very busy week for news, we uh, are going to go straight over to the news from the Labour Party this week and the suspension of its former leader, Jeremy Corbyn. Now, the context around this is that the uh, EHRC report has been released into the Labour Party and anti-Semitism. And this report, at points, seems to be rather damning of the Labour Party, condemning its processes, interference from the leader's office, and calls out a number of former members as agitators acting on behalf of the party in terms of harassing people. Now, in the aftermath of the release of the report, before Keir Starmer had even given a statement, Jeremy Corbyn released a statement onto Facebook. The statement reads as follows. Anti-Semitism is absolutely abhorrent, wrong and responsible for some of humanity's greatest crimes. As leader of the Labour Party, I was always determined to eliminate all forms of racism and root out the cancer of anti-Semitism. I have campaigned in support of Jewish people and communities my entire life, and I will, con- I will continue to do so. The HRC's report shows that when I became Labour leader in 2015, the party's processes for handling complaints were not fit for purpose. Reform was then stalled by an obstructive party bureaucracy. But from 2018, Jenny Formby and a new NEC that supported my leadership made substantial improvements, making it much easier and swifter to remove anti-Semites. My team acted to speed up, not hinder the process. Anyone claiming there is no anti-Semitism in the Labour Party is wrong. Of course there is, and there is throughout society. And sometimes it is voiced by people who think of themselves as on the left. Jewish members of our party and wider community were right to expect us to deal with it. I regret that it took longer to deliver them that change than it should. One anti-Semite is one too many, but the scale of the problem was also dramatically overstated for political reasons by our opponents inside and outside the party, as well as much of the media. That combination hurt Jewish people and must never be repeated. My sincere hope is that relations with the, with Jewish communities can be rebuilt and those fears overcome. While I do not accept all of its findings, I trust its recommendations will be swiftly implemented to help move on from this period. And then after this statement that he released and obviously then suspended, he then says, I will strongly contest the political intervention to suspend me. I've made absolutely clear that those who deny that there has been anti-Semitism, an anti-Semitism problem within the Labour Party are wrong. It is also undeniable that a false impression has been created of the number of members accused of anti-Semitism. As polling shows, that is what has been overstated, not the seriousness of the problem. I will continue to support a zero-tolerance policy towards all forms of racism. I urge all members to stay calm and focused while this problem is resolved amicably. And I believe it will be to defeat this awful government, which is further impoverishing the poorest in our society. Bradley, what has been your reaction over the last few days to this whole saga? I mean, I, I think saga is the right word, isn't it? I think it's it, this is this is why it's difficult to talk about this issue. I think because it 
it's gone on for so long and it's tied in with so and it shouldn't be but it is it's tied in with so many other political issues Um, and it's hard to talk about this sensibly now and in an accurate way I think I think the the first thing we need to say and it needs to be very clear on is that the the party under Corbyn failed Jewish people I you know I I think I think we need to be crystal clear about that Um, and the report makes that very clear and I think it's a very good report. It has a lot of detail in it, and that makes it makes it crystal clear that the party under Corbyn failed Jewish people, um, and, and we know that from other sources as well. So I think anyone trying to ignore that or, or hide from that um, is wrong. And, and I think as the left, you know, we, we we need to be honest about that and own up to that and, and improve on that and do better. Um, I don't think that um, conflicts with um, the idea that Corbyn espoused in his statement that the issue had been used for political purposes by certain factions in the party and the media, and and that actually the the, the scale of the problem had been exaggerated. I, I don't think those two things are, are contradictory. To accept that there's a real problem of anti-Semitism in the party, and and that the party failed to deal with it properly under Corbyn, and, and you know to some extent still is still is failing to deal with it properly. Um, I don't think that you, you can believe that on the one hand, and also believe that, that the issue was exaggerated by certain political factions. I, you, you, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Um, but by suspending Corbyn for that statement, um, you know, essentially Starmer has said you, you, you can't hold both views, um, and, and that if you espouse one of these views, you, you will be suspended from the Labour Party and potentially expelled. Um, I, I think that puts us in a in a really um, dangerous place in terms of internal party democracy and to, to not be able to express those views. Um, and, I, and I think you know, a lot of people have made this point um, on social media and, and other podcasts that actually it, it, it we don't know the details yet, but it looks like they might have fallen foul themselves of, of one of the EHRC's recommendations in terms of political interference um, by the Labour Party. Uh, but sorry, by the leadership office, and um, that the leadership office shouldn't shouldn't be involved um, in, in disciplinary cases, um, and that that's one of the key issues that found in the report that, that under Corbyn's tenure, the, the leaders' office got involved um, in, in in complaint processes. Um, but it, it seems like you know, we, we don't know the exact details of how this happened, but it it doesn't exactly seem like due process followed here in suspending Corbyn. And um, you know, the, the first thing he found out about it was through the media. Um, so it, it doesn't quite seem to me like a really uh, well-done, by-the-book sort of, of complaints process, although we'll, we'll have to see. Um, uh, I'm sure more revelations about that will, will come out in, in due course. And, and you know, the, the Guardian is reporting about sort of pe- people close to Corbyn are having talks with, with Starmer's people and, and trying to resolve this amicably and all this sort of stuff, which, again, doesn't really speak of, of, a, of a complaints process that, that's being followed by the book and, and, and is proper due process and um, but but what we'll have to see is more details emerge on that what, what's really gone on and um, i i think you know it, it's very clear in the report that there were failings by the party um in terms of interference from by, by the leader's office as i mentioned although that's sort of being reported quite ominously in in the press but actually if, if you look at a lot of the examples where that's happened it wasn't it wasn't so you know your immediate assumption there is, is, is that okay you know corbyn was interfering directly to, to try and stop anti-Semites getting kicked out of the party. Um, that, that doesn't really seem to be what's happened in, in a lot of cases, um, although there is, there is a questionable moment where the leadership office interferes around um, a, a questionable fruit of Corbyn's, or, or I think it was a, 
a post on Facebook or something about a, a, um, a, a mural that, that Corbyn had defended and um, that, that had sort of anti-Semitic tropes on it. And I, I think at one point the leadership office got involved in that, which I think is probably inappropriate. Um, but uh, yeah, and it, ideally we don't want the leadership office involved in any complex processes and individual decision making around that. that. That is inappropriate and that shouldn't happen going forward. Um, but but it, it seems like a lot of the time that was happening. I don't know if it was exclusively this case, but but Corbyn or his team were trying to speed up complaints processes or, or were trying to you know basically say get get this person out of the pile, get them suspended. Um, so I, I do think that's an important caveat, but ultimately we shouldn't be having the news office involved in, in these decisions. Um, I think probably m- more damning are things, you know, around failures to, to have um, a clear process in place um, for, for anti-Semitism complaints um, uh, and other failures around process and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, again, I, I think there are caveats to that as well. Like, you know, this this isn't you know, anti-Semitism, you'd be forgiven for thinking this was the case, but it certainly wasn't. You know, anti-Semitism didn't, didn't just emerge as a problem when, when Corbyn became leader in the, in the party. You know, anti-Semitism has got a long history in the party on the left. Um, and, and the failure to have proper processes in place predates Corbyn as well. So so I think that's a caveat. I do also think, you know, we, we've seen from the leaked report last year, um, or was it early this year? I can't remember. It seems like we've been in lockdown forever. I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember the time slot now. And, you know, we know, and if you, I think Owen Jones's book is a really good book to read on this, actually, this land. He has a whole, a whole chapter on this. I think if you, you know, we know that there are certain party staffers that, that pretty much went out of their way to obstruct um, the Corbyn project. Um, so I think that's a really important caveat as well um, in, in terms of the ability for Corbyn's team to get basic tasks done as a leadership team. And none of this is to excuse the failures in Corbyn. Ultimately, he was the leader and the book stopped for him. Um, and you know, him and his senior team, um, and and I think they do. They have to accept that there were failings in the room that they failed church people, and we as a left shouldn't be shy about saying that. Um, but I do also think there's a lot of nuance and a lot of caveats to, to some of these failings. And it, I don't I don't think the blame lies entirely with Corbyn and his team. I think there are other factors that, that also need to show us some blame. Um, and and in terms of the suspension, I, I think it could, a complete overreaction by Keir Starmer. Um, but also such an obvious thing that was going to happen. Um, I, I think there's been elements within the party that have, that have been waiting for this for some time. I think whatever Corbyn's response, they would have they would have tried to do something to to to, to cause issues for him. Um, there, there is also that whole question of you know was it was it politically savvy for him to say what he did? I think you know I think he was right in what he said, but but was it the best time for him to bring that up? Sure, there's an argument there that he could have just been a bit more um, conciliatory and, and not not say what he said. Um, but that you know, that still doesn't mean he should be suspended for, for his comments. Yeah, and I think the uh, the important thing to bear in mind as, as people that are Labour Party members or people that are observing the Labour Party is that this report has now been released and its findings are there in the public. And what I don't want to see is that its findings are now lost because there's a big political row breaking out. I think that actually it's important that we do act upon these findings, that the leadership office is now removed from the process, that they're not involved in any process of any complaints whatsoever, and that actually the issue of anti-Semitism and all forms of racism, wherever they appear in our party, are stamped out. They are removed. Um, it's, I think it's unfortunate what Corbyn has said because actually it does... But points come across as um, 
I suppose it's not as sensitive to the issue as, as what it what it could be. Um, I can understand why he said what he, he has, and I uh, can see exactly where he's coming from. But actually, in the aftermath of such a serious report into our party, I think it's important that we take it seriously and we're not playing any of it down and acting upon all the findings. Ollie, what was your uh, what was your reaction to the suspension of Corbyn and the release of the report? Well, um, I've taken some time to kind of reflect on the findings of the report. I've I've read a few of the summaries. Um, I, I think it's it's I think it's as Bradley says. Um, we we have to take these things very seriously. Um, we do have to um, not just kind of um, what's the word just like wash them away and pretend that it didn't happen because because it did happen but i think obviously corbyn was right to say that they, they have been overstated and used as a political weapon against him i think absolutely it was ill-judged i don't think it was suspendable absolutely not um it's made a lot of people very angry and i think thousands of members are thinking of leaving now because his whole the one of the reasons it, it became the one of the biggest parties in in Europe was because of Corbyn's like manifesto, what he stood for and his policies. Um, so for some time now, I think the, the Labour Labour Party is no longer a, a socialist organisation, as it were, uh, in itself. I mean, there's a big there's a big platform form of people who want a, a truly left party, like a socialist party. Um, and there are there are many calls for for people to create this new party, but it wouldn't necessarily do very well i don't think this is the right platform um the right ideals to kind of launch a party on that um that corbyn isn't an, an anti-semite i don't think that's necessarily the right own to launch a, a new party um something I, I did find very interesting i was watching um i was listening to uh tiski saron of our media and um historian and barrister david renton was on there saying that um, the, these um, allegations against Corbyn have been taken to court before um, on those in, in similar conditions and they, they didn't hold up basically so he would have um, quite a strong case to make in court that um, that yeah he, he's he's not an anti-semite and he's done all he can um, in, well not necessarily done all he can because Obviously, there was a lot of failings under his governance—not uh, governance. I mean, under his leadership. Um, so I, I did find that quite interesting. Um, but obviously, it's a ma- it's a massive punishment to to be taken to court and um, have his his name kind of slandered even more than it has been after a five year um, character assassination in, in the mainstream media. I think they were just looking to, for reasons to get rid of him, to be honest, as um, as what's been said. Um, so if it wasn't now, I mean, we know that um, Starmer has been trying to kind of purge this, uh, the party of socialists, as it were. So, yeah, as Bradley says, I think we could have seen this coming, maybe. Mm. And Callum, uh, did you want to come in at all and, and react to the report and the suspension? I'm not sure how much I, I can really add just on the point about um, the possibility of creating another party. I mean, the only time that's ever been done successfully um, in the modern era in the UK was obviously with the creation of the Labour Party itself. 
um, when the trade unions decided that they needed their own party and were able to throw their resources into it. Um, the only other occasion I can think of is obviously the Social Democratic Party, which eventually had to merge with the uh, Liberals to become the Liberal Democrats. And they only survived because they had um, you know, huge backing from, from private individuals, uh, businesses and so on, which obviously are not interested in representing the interests of, of working people. Uh, which is always going to be a millstone around the neck of uh, of, of those do-gooder liberals, so to speak. No matter how progressive you might be, you're funded by vested interests, and that will always be a problem for them. Um, so my question, therefore, would be if anyone's looking to break away from the Labour Party, you know, where is your funding going to come from? Because unless a trade union splits away or trade unions, plural, decide to split away from the Labour Party, it ain't going to happen. Um, that's that's the that's the uh, unfortunate thing about British politics in general. I, I mean, Corbyn, uh, I mean, uh, as I understand it, he had advanced sight of the report. Um, he was told what the line would be from 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 Labour, uh, and he sort of puts um, Keir Starmer in a bit of a uh, catch twenty two, really, because Keir Starmer stood up and said, um, "You know, if you say that the process, uh, if you say that anti-Semitism in the Labour Party has been overstated, um, then you should be nowhere near this party." To which Corbyn responded, "Within minutes, I think the problem has been overstated." Now he can argue. Um, about to what extent that that is true. Um, I strongly suspect, just as Ollie said before, if it were to go to court legally, uh, Jeremy Corbyn may well be in the right. Um, but that doesn't really matter because it's about perception, it's about act, uh, optics, it's about politics. That's why Corbyn has been suspended and almost certainly, I think, will be expelled from the Labour Party. Um, as as a consequence of that, um, so that's that's the real impact. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether members decide to stick around after that. Because at, at the end of the day, there are more important things, you know, like the Green New Deal being the most being the most important one, making sure that the leader and the leadership in general sticks to those ten pledges that he was elected on at the end of the day, because. If he doesn't do that, then his projects will fail. Um, and none of this conversation about um, anti-Semitism and the Labour Party will ultimately matter in the long run. So that's why members should stick around in the party, because there are more battles to fight. Um, and maybe it's not worth, uh, you know, dying or uh, dying on a hill for uh, an old man who wants martyrdom, frankly. Bradley, uh, is there any hope of uh, forming a new party? What do you think? Well, I, I just wanted to, to challenge Callum a little bit in that um, I, I think what's going on here is a, is a little bit more insidious than, than perhaps we, we've talked about so far in that, you know, it, it it's true. You know, what everything Corbyn said in his statement was true. And the issue has been exaggerated. You know, if you, if you look at the general public perception of, of, of the scale of the crisis in the party around anti-Semitism, you know, it it has been exaggerated, and, and people have used it for political gain. 
Um, and I think now we're in a position where our party leader is, you know, if Keir Starmer happens to listen to this podcast, he will be calling for me to be removed from the party for saying that. And I think that's a really dangerous place for us to be. As, a, as part. But people might disagree with me on that issue. That's fine. Um, but but the, the idea that that is beyond the pale for me to say that and, and that I should be removed from my party for saying that, I think is actually deeply, deeply anti-democratic. Um, and that that's where we're where we're at at the moment. I think is actually quite a, a genuinely frightening place for us to be as a party, um, and that people don't feel you know I, I've seen it on on the local pages. People feel like they aren't able to comment on this issue. Um, and is that really where we want to be as a party? I, I think yeah, I, I don't think that's where I want to be as a, as a party. Um, so so that that I, genuinely that does worry me, and I think also. You know, there'll be a lot of people, um, myself included, to, you know, I came into the party under Corbyn and, and as did, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that are members now. Um, and to them, this will feel like a direct attack, you know, on them and their politics. Uh, you know, it, it essentially feels for, for many of them, they will feel um, that their own party leadership is, is declared war on them to some degree. Um, so, so I, I, I take the point that maybe you know we, we need to move beyond Corbynism now, and we, and we need to continue fighting for for a radical left program within the party. And and you know Corbyn's made his own decision. I, I get all that, but I do also understand why some people might feel the need to leave the party of this, or or to not just sort of let it go and move on, because I, I do think there are some important issues here at stake. And um, in terms of creating a new party, I mean, I. I Callum, Callum's right about the challenges that, that would face any new party, you know, in terms of funding and, and the first past the post system, which actively discourages um, anything more than, than two major parties. Um, I think for me, you know, this is this is what I said in my, in my status on this the other day is that it's difficult to sort of everyone's got a different local context, you know, and everyone's got different political interests in terms of what issues are most important to them. So I, I don't really feel like it's my place to start telling people whether to stay in the party or leave the party. For me in Lincoln, I think, and I'm not just saying this because this is a public thing, I, you know, I mean it. I think we've got a great set of Labour councillors. We've got a great set of, of Labour activists, and some of which are, are in this call. Uh, and so for me, it makes sense locally. You know, if I left the Labour Party, you know, what, what would I do as a local activist? What, what, you know, what change would I make in Lincoln? To me, you know, where the fight is, is is in the local party in Lincoln. And, and, and that, you know, there's a group of people that are committed socialists that want to make positive change in our community. So it makes sense to me to stay in the Labour Party. Primarily, I'll be honest, you know, I'm increasingly disillusioned with the national leadership. Um, but the local party and the local context makes me stay in the party. If I was in a city where, it, you know, the, the local party was fairly controlled by the right of the party, that wasn't very active, that, that wasn't really doing things, but there were other groups out there that were, um, then I, I would be tempted to leave the party at that point. And, and who who are we to say that that's the wrong decision for, the, for those people? So I think, you know, it. I, I don't think leaving is, is always the best option in these circumstances, but I also think the local context in which people are, are fighting the good fight is, is relevant as well and, and that um, people should make the decision that enables them to make the most good where they are if that makes sense. Yeah, um, and Callum, you just wanted to come back on that. Yeah, I mean, I agree uh, with that to, to an extent. I mean, even if you're not a, 
um, you know, a committed party activist like Guy am, for instance, um, you should always keep a, a foot in, in the Labour Party because having that sort of political influence is useful, whatever campaign group you're, you're a member of. Um, that's a very good point uh, as well. But uh, as I say, um, I don't really see much to be gained for the left by by trying to trying to defend Corbyn too much. Um, maybe you think he's been treated extremely. Um, I think what is true is that he's been treated inconsistently. Um, just taking a step back, because if you look at uh, other MPs who have committed similar. Uh, made similar statements that are offensive to minorities like Rosie Duffield for instance you know a, 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 an alleged transphobe very blatant transphobe um, and she has received no sanction at all from the leadership for instance um, you know she she's been just as insensitive towards trans people as as arguably Jeremy Corbyn um, has been to Jewish people if that's if that's your point of view and yet no action has been taken against her. So I think that, you know, if there is a if there is a case for Jeremy Corbyn being treated inconsistently by the leadership, that's definitely there. They need to be consistent in the way they treat their MPs. And and just thinking about MPs, you know, people like Nadia Otomi and uh, uh, Zara Sultana, you know, they have had taken sensible uh, positions on this. They've accepted the EHRC report. Those MPs and people like them who will follow them, who will be elected in the next parliament, into local councils and so on, they're the future of the Labour Party. They are people who were encouraged, or some, some of, a lot of those people were encouraged by Jeremy Corbyn, um, and that is his legacy that I hope he'll be remembered for. Um, I don't want to throw it away um, by wasting energy and time trying to argue over the wording of a statement that he has made when at the end of the day he's not coming back um, and there are more important things to fight for. Sorry, I, I, do, I do need to speak on this again because what you've effectively, I mean, first of all, yeah, you, you, you've contrasted him with these other MPs, um, but, but he, he hasn't rejected the report at all. He, he, that's not what he did in his statement. He didn't. He didn't reject the EHRC report at all. Um, he he said he had some issues with some specific findings and, and felt like overall it had perhaps it minimised some of his contributions that he felt he'd made as leader. But he's not rejected the report. Um, and and you know you, you've contrasted him with with the treatment of transphobes in the party. He hasn't I'm, said I'm anything. Not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the fact that he's accepted the report or not is not the reason why he's been suspended. The reason why he's been suspended is because he said that the, or implied that the problem of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party had been overstated. And and the other reason is because Keir Starmer had said literally minutes before he made that statement that anyone who said such a thing should be nowhere near the Labour Party. That's just... Focus in on the actual reason why he's actually but, being but suspended. That's my point. And it, it's, it's, he, it's hasn't, he hasn't made an anti-Semitic statement. He, he, hasn't, no, he hasn't said anything well, anti-Semitic in that statement. But he, but he has been suspended. No, no, you're, you're well. Yes, the the thing is, it might not be an anti-Semitic statement, but nevertheless, the leader has made 
uh, a, a pronouncement that anyone who uh, who says that the problem has been overstated in the Labour Party, um, implying basically that anyone who says that sort of thing is enabling anti-Semitism. Now, you, you can argue as to whether that, that statement is true, but that is the reason why um, he has been suspended. But, but isn't, isn't that it, fly the face of the EHRC report itself? Because isn't that yeah, the it, 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 in complaints, in, in complaints by, by the leadership office? Yeah, it's, it's, it is ironic, of course, that, um, that one of the recommendations was that uh, there should be no interference from Lotto and the first thing that happens is Lotto uh, interferes in the disciplinary process. Um, although it's important to note that Keir Starmer has said that his suspension from the Labour Party, not the whip, um, is, is, uh, is not his decision. The decision to remove the whip from him is definitely Keir Starmer's decision. No, no one can argue about yeah, that because yeah, he has yeah, control yeah. over the PLP. It's a bit disingenuous to say otherwise. But I, I, like I say, I, I question the value of getting... I don't want to minimise it by saying getting getting wound up, but but getting closely involved in the in nitty-gritty of what, was, what this guy said when at the end of the day we don't want to see people minimizing the experience of jewish people in the labor party we really don't um and yeah that that behavior shouldn't be encouraged what i, 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 agree, I agree that second that second to last paragraph um in his truncate jeremy corbyn's uh, truncated mm. statement on on facebook you know could, is is uh, i think it's insensitive um, to, for him to have said that, especially at this at this point, as you yourself said earlier, um, and that is the reason he's been suspended. Maybe that's maybe that's been extreme. Maybe he will be let in, but it's definitely not a reason to leave leave the party or to, you know, um, say that we should be setting up a new a new party or anything like that. Even if Jeremy Corbyn ends up getting expelled for it, um, I don't think that's necessarily. Uh, a, a sign of the Labour Party becoming uh, a, a Stalinist sort of uh, authoritarian regime, because at the end of the day, that is being put in place to protect a minority. Um, and if you think it's extreme, then okay, fine. But nevertheless, that's the that's the grounding for it. That's the reason, and it's not very good politics, I would say. Um, or, or even potentially ethically, to oppose that. Um, that would be that's my view on it. As especially as I say, when all of our energies should be about pushing forward things like the Green New Deal, and opposing austerity, and holding Keir Starmer's feet to the fire on his ten pledges. I, I think just, and this is the last thing I'll say on it. But I think, um, I. I, I, I don't I don't agree that this is entirely coming from a place of trying to protect minority groups in terms of in terms of Keir Starmer's response. I, th I don't think that's entirely the reason why he's been so heavy handed with with, with Corbyn. Um, and and I, I do I do think there is an important principle here. And and it, it for for me, if this was the only thing that ever happens, then I could probably let it go. And what what I'm always thinking of is what does this mean for Starmer's leadership in the future? What does this suggest to us about the sort of leader Starmer is going to be? Um, and and to to me it concerns me because um, I, I I see it as as a as a an assault on people being able to discuss things freely and openly. 
Um, if Corbyn had said something clearly anti-Semitic now, obviously this wouldn't be an issue and he, he should be suspended. The fact is, to, to my mind, what he said doesn't even come close to anti-Semitic and it should be very clearly within the realms of, of, of public debate. Um, so so that, that's that's the reason for me. And, I, and I'm not suggesting, you know, I haven't called people to the party and I, I'm not going to leave the party over it myself, but it, it does concern me. And I, I think people are right to be to be frustrated by, by Starmer's decision here. And I think just to sort of round up on the whole debate, I think that really I share Callum's sentiment in that actually the issues and the policies that were brought forward by Corbyn and put to the forefront of, of activists' minds and bringing people into the party are what we should be looking at now. Um, we, we've always said, actually, that the, the movement is not just one man. It's not Jeremy Corbyn. It's not Rebecca Long-Bailey when she was kicked out of the shadow cabinet. It's not Diane Abbott. It's not John McDonnell. It's a set of values that we share and we want to see a better future. So to anyone that is thinking of leaving the party, I'd implore you don't. Seriously, it's, it's the only way we're going to see an opposition and then hopefully a government in this country that will actually transform people's lives for the better. So moving on from one individual that it's not all about, let's start talking about an individual that it seems to be all about at the moment, Boris Johnson and the announcement of lockdown number two. Now, uh, we had a bit of a bet earlier on in the uh, in our podcasts as to when this lockdown was going to come. Some of us were talking about maybe the end of September. Some of us were talking about mid to late October. I don't think any of us really expected it to be coming this week. Week beginning is the 2nd of November for those listening in. Now, Boris, after much bluster, after much denial over the last few weeks that we were, that we were going to have a lockdown, sticking to his whack-a-mole policy of local lockdowns, regional measures, a three-tier system has now decided that, in actual fact, the scientific evidence points towards a serious spike in COVID cases, a serious spike in hospitalizations, and therefore a serious spike in deaths. I think that this is completely unacceptable. I think that he's left it far too late to do so. We've seen Germany and France and a number of other countries already go back into lockdown over the last few weeks. And yet we seem to be sitting here twiddling our thumbs, encouraging places to be open as much as possible. And then even when we get this lockdown come, Boris Johnson announced that schools will remain open, universities will remain open, work at home where possible, but if you work in manufacturing or construction sites, then you are free to stay at work. This isn't a real lockdown. It seems to be a faux lockdown. Callum, what was your reaction? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm the one who made that bet. Um, I said that there would be a national lockdown by the end of September, and it turns out um, I was right, but um, out by exactly a month. Because um, I think it was I think it was Saturday that the the announcement came, if I if I recall correctly. Um, and sitting there watching it, uh, apparently the um, the announcement was delayed 
uh, for some time. I, I heard rumours that it was delayed because they were still arguing with Rishi Sunak, um, which suggests that they uh, may have been wanting to cancel or, or to not implement the furlough scheme. Um, as I understand it, the furlough scheme is to be extended now um, until uh, until December, um, which is the right decision, of course. Um, but yes, uh, so what, what I find funny about that really is we had until last week all of that faffing around with local authorities, the big showdown with Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester, um, they, the government weren't going to uh, cough up the, you know, really on their scale, tiny amount of money they needed to support businesses in that part of the country um, and people in that part of the country. Um, only for about a week later, uh, Boris Johnson to say, yes, no, we're going to implement it nationally or, or nationally anyway, rendering that entire episode completely pointless, completely pointless. Um, and, you know, I, I know sometimes we criticise the uh, orthodox Labour Party line about co just calling the government incompetent, but it really is. It's just a, it's a, it is farcical. You know, it's not, it's not even something that uh, Armano Illucci would have written for, um, for the thick of it, you know, um, just to watch it sort of unfold. And, uh, yeah, that and the school meals thing, I just, how this government has any credibility left with the public, um, I, I really don't know. And, of course, we know that because they have failed to implement that lockdown, Many thousands more people have died and will die uh, as a consequence of their stupidity, frankly. Bradley. Yeah, I, I think I think Callum's right. Um, you know, we should always be wary of, of simply putting these things down to incompetence because there is often, you know, sort of cronyism and ideology at play as well. And, and we'll get onto that in a minute because I think that is a factor. But, you know, I think it, it does make the whole sort of the battle with, with Manchester and other local um, authority, it makes it look absolutely ridiculous now. Um, and, and I don't think that there was no sort of clever plan there. You know, and it, people say this about Thatcher years, you know, often um, pe people overestimate Thatcher and, and her cabinet in, in terms of how much there was a grand plan really at play there. And I, I think that's true of Boris sometimes as well. Um, there was no, there was no game for the Tory Party in those battles with local leaders. Um, it, they only had to expend political capital for, and now, you know, a week later, it was for absolutely nothing. So I, I do think the, that that saga has been a, a, a good example, a, a good argument in favour of the incompetence line, and um, that, that actually this government is, is just incompetent. Um, I and I, I think that's true. I, you know, I think they're a bunch of idiots, um, and, and their, their incompetence has cost many lives. Um, I think ideology is at play a bit as well, though. I, I think Boris is extremely hesitant to, to do um, to do to do lockdowns, um, and that you know it's depressing and it's frustrating. You know, nine months on, and we're exactly where we started. We are in exactly the same position as we were nine months ago, in that we have divvied and delayed and failed to put things in place, and now we're going into a national lockdown again. Um, and and, it, and again, it's too late. It's come two or three weeks at least too late. And um, again, and it will, and we'll, we're going to see more and more deaths rolling again across the winter. And um, I, I think that's the thing for me: this sense of a, of a 
of an overwhelming sense of Groundhog Day. We are ending the year as we started it, um, and and the government has utterly failed the British public on this issue. Ollie, have the government failed the British population? Well, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of discussion that is the other way around. I'm seeing a lot of people blame other people, as as you were just talking about. But um, one thing I'd just like to highlight, um, and I'd just like to talk about, is um, is Dishy Rishi's Eat Out to Help Out scheme, and how insanely like ridiculous it seems now, um, because there's new there's new reports which have found that it absolutely like did accelerate COVID rates in in many areas. And, and they found, um, I think it was over half a half a billion pounds for that scheme, and um, and yet, as we were talking about last week with the free school meals debate, they couldn't even find that money to, I mean, it's a, a tiny amount of money in comparison, to um, fund free school meals for, for thousands of children. It just it seems completely bizarre, and um, I think. It's kind of frustrating seeing seeing other people blame blame other people when it's actually the government at fault, really. Yeah, and I, I I think that we're right to be questioning exactly what the government is thinking. That it isn't just about incompetence. That it is actually about very sinister political games. Um, I think that. Certainly people are profiting from the pandemic. We've seen that with some of the cronyism going on, with the awarding of contracts, with how things are being dished out. And now actually, finally, the scientific evidence is coming to point them to the inevitable lockdown that had to come as, as, as some sort of firebreak because it was spreading rapidly. And it wasn't just amongst students, as was predicted. It was amongst all sorts of areas of society. And that's not their fault, because so many of them were effectively told to go back to work or face being fired. They were taken off furlough. Their children were sent back to school. So they didn't have childcare commitments that they were having to carry out as they would have over the summer lockdown. And now it's a case of, really, the government has realised the inevitable lockdown is going to come. They realise that actually too many people are dying because it seems to be that unlike what we would consider to be any death is too many when, when it comes to a pandemic, then actually it's a case of too many deaths for them. It's a case of how many deaths can they get away with before they have to lock down. And to me, that's, that's unacceptable. And what really doesn't help is that certain members within the Conservative Party and certain certain people on the right are actually still anti-lockdown because somehow they see it as infringing their their rights, it's infringing their freedoms. But I would argue actually the biggest freedom that you can have is to be alive and to survive a pandemic, not to be cast into the fire as this government would have us do. Sadly. Yeah, I I think Ollie's um point about the, the free school meals is, is spot on. I think, you know, n- nothing nothing embodies Conservative Party ideology better um, than, than being able to fund people going out to a nice restaurant and, 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 and getting food during the, during the summer months, but then also lead, helps contribute to the spread of an infectious disease that will, that will kill people. Um, 
they can find money for that, but they cannot. But they're happy to sit and watch um, school children from poor families starve throughout the hard term. Nothing, nothing embodies Conservative Party policy more than that. And yeah, you know, and there'll be people that sort of act, you know, with shock that they might want to vote to Conservative, and, and but you know, for them, this is this is a step too far. Um, but this isn't some sort of aberration, you know. We're not in, in uncharted waters here. This is what Conservative Party policy is all about. It does not give a shit about poor people, and it will and it will fight tooth and nail to to avoid using state resources to help people that need help. So yeah, so we we shouldn't you know write this off as some sort of aberration in in the strange times of COVID and, and the government made a, a wrong call. This goes to the heart of conservative ideology and the impact that the conservative parties had on this country for the last ten years. Um, I I think we're also in, in dangerous times now because I think everyone is bloody fed up with lockdowns, right? They're they're fed up with, with social distancing. They're fed up with wearing masks. Um, and and we're starting to see, I think, a hardened rhetoric. So if you look at the US election, which I know we're going to come on to in a minute, um, but Trump seems to be really going out against lockdowns in, in his rhetoric against Biden. And your point about, about you know, the greatest freedom to be alive is quite funny because I think he, I saw a tweet earlier where he, he Trump was tweeting saying that Biden is going to restrict your freedoms, he, he's going to lock down schools, he's going to lock down this, that and the other. And someone had sort of retweeted that and said, well, yeah, he, 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 I think Trump would say, you know, you're not going to have schools, you're not going to have this, you're not going to have that. And the guy, the guy's feed is it. Well, if you're dead, you're not going to have any of that either. So, so maybe we need to do some of these things. Um, but yeah, so Trump's really get, coming out against lockdowns and, and using that as a point. Obviously, his advisors think you know slamming Biden on on being stricter and bringing in you know curtailments on freedom for for the sake of tackling COVID seems to be a good line for him. Whether it'll work or not, we'll, we'll see. Um, but of course, we we've got this new the new Reform Party in in the UK as well. Bizarre, a strange name for it, um, reminiscent a little bit of Change UK, but the, this new reform party that, that the Brexit party is going to morph into, um, with Farage calling out of the woodwork again to, to go against um, sort of lockdown measures and, and strict measures around COVID. And I, I am concerned, you know, some people have laughed about it, and I suppose there there is a satire element to it. Um, but some other people, you know, Liam Young on Twitter has said, um, you know, actually we, we need to be worried about this because Laugh at it all you want, but parties like UKIP and the Brexit Party have actually been far more successful in influencing British politics than, than the left have been over the last couple of decades. So uh, actually, we, we need an intelligent political response to this. Absolutely. And I just wanted to pick up on that Reform Party launch that there is uh, people like Farage, well, throughout the political establishment that are very much sceptical of lockdowns, as I mentioned before. And I just uh, quote from Farage that he says that is uh, that the renewed lockdown will result in more life years lost than it hopes to save and argued that building immunity would be more effective. I think that this, we, we already know that these are unfounded arguments. These are arguments put forward. If we remember the herd immunity arguments at the very start of the lockdown, turns out that herd immunity isn't possible. Certainly, Herd immunity isn't possible without a vaccine. Um, Farage seems to be realising that, again, he can come out of the political shadows and make a buck on people that are angry about the lockdown. And he's found another market for him to tap into and to effectively make political capital on the back of that. 
So from one crazy right-wing nutter over in the UK to another, it's the big day for Donny and Sleepy Joe. Uh, the election is coming this week. Uh, we, we're going to be trying to have our reactions in a short podcast to that uh, on the Wednesday morning. Hopefully we'll get our reactions out and hopefully we won't be in despair. But with the election coming up, Biden leading in the polls, can Trump still win? That is the question on everyone's lips. And Ollie, do you think that Trump can still pull it out the hat? Well, I haven't been following much of it, but I've just been reading about... Um... I'm very skeptical of polls in general, and I don't advise anyone go by their, their judgment a lot of the time. Um, morning consult, final poll. Biden has a, a national lead of eight points over Trump. Um, while the Democrats have a seven point uh, lead over Republicans on the the congressional the generic uh, congressional ballot. So um, it's it's looking it's looking good in some way. In that, if he gets, if if Biden gets a, a solid enough win, then um, hopefully, anyway, he'll be able to kind of overthrow any tantrums that that Trump plays. But I don't know; it's still a very uncertain time, um, and I'd be extremely skeptical of, of the polls as a whole, anyway. Is he is he going to do it? Is Biden going to beat Trump? What's your prediction? <laughs> I don't really want to make a prediction. That's that's the trouble. When you make predictions, oh, sorry, there's no choice. You've got to predict. You've got to predict. Look, I, I mean, I said before, the worst possible outcome is probably a Biden, a narrow Biden victory. I, I think that's probably the most likely outcome. Um, I mean, I've watched um, quite a few different sources talking about. Uh, the polling, and I know that Ollie says that we shouldn't trust polls. He's quite right to, of course. Um, but the polls this time round have been a lot more intensive. They've also been conducted um, more closely at a state level in the marginal states, and that's where, of course, the election will be won or lost. They've corrected their methodology, the sophologists who are working on this, um, because last time they didn't correct for education. Um, so if you, in the United States, if you are, if, if you have got a college degree, a university degree, as we'd call it, um, you are much, much, much more likely to vote Democrat. Um, and they didn't really account for that in the polling, which is why they thought that Clinton was ahead um, until uh, that she wasn't. Um, and then obviously this time around they have corrected for that. So these po these polls are uh, probably a lot more accurate than they were last time round, which is why we can pro we can say with some some confidence that Joe Biden has is more likely to uh, to win the election. Obviously that doesn't stop uh, everything else that I've spoken about before and others have spoken about, wherein Trump challenges the election, which he will be able to do much more easily. Um, if it's tight. Um, and obviously, we do have this mailing factor, which will delay the result in um, a lot of states, actually, I imagine. Mail-in voters are supposed to be lean more Democrat as well. So another thing that Donald Trump has said that he'll do is uh, if the, uh, the in-person votes, which come in sooner, um, are in his favour, which they're more likely to, he will declare victory and then use that as a sort of basis to say votes that come in later 
uh, or to create this zeitgeist that he that he is the victor. Um, so uh, very interesting to watch. Um, uh, I, as I say, I think most likely Biden, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the end of the story. And finally, Bradley, what's your predictions for the next couple of days? What can we be waiting for on the other side of the US election? Well, I'm, I'm tempted to say Trump because then we can say our, our podcast successfully predicted the election result. Because <laughs> one way or the other, one of us would have got it right. Um, but no, it, it does look like it's going to be Biden. Um, the, the polling, it, you know, there is a white, there have been corrections by pollsters or attempted corrections, um, you know, since, since 2016. Um, and, and the gap is still looking like it's wider than it was for, for Clinton as well. Um, so, so I think that the most likely outcome is, is Biden, um, but I'm certainly not going to be placing any significant amounts of money on it. Um, I've, I've long given up on trying to predict election and referendum results, and, and they always seem to go the way I don't want them to. So who knows? Maybe maybe Trump will surprise us. I, I do think there are some concerning things coming out of the US around voter suppression. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen the, the lean in the independent today was um, uh, a, a a convoy of, of trucks um, block, blocking access to a voter booth. Um, you know, openly Trump supporters block, blocking access to to, vote, to polling stations. Um, so obviously that's an isolated incident. Um, but but is it? You know, are, are things like that going on across the country today and tomorrow? And they have a weird. I don't know fully how it works, but they have a weird system in the US where you can sort of vote on different days and things like that. Um, so it, it seems to be much more of an event than it is in the UK. Um, and, and there's all sorts of, yeah, there's ongoing issues um, around um, the expression in black communities, which obviously disproportionately harm the Democrats. Um, there are all sorts of things where, where Trump has, has encouraged um, Proud Boys to, to go out and, and be at polling stations and uh, holding up funding for the Postal Service and, and all sorts of things that have gone on. Um, I think that what will be a problem, I think if it's quite a clear and early uh, wide gap between Biden and Trump, I think, will probably be okay. I think the worrying thing is if, if it's quite a narrow victory for Biden, I think Trump will try and use every trick he can if 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 it's maybe not a very clear win for Biden. Yeah. Um, I, I my suspicions are that obviously uh, Biden will win narrowly. Um, but you always have that fear after 2016 that Trump will uh, come storming in somehow. But uh, I'm, I'm slightly sad to see nobody putting their money on Kanye West to be president. So, uh, <laughs> what a world, eh? Kanye. So he was probably at one percent the other day. So, <laughs> I mean, you you always get. I mean, I'll let you finish in a minute, um, Calum, but you always get um, candidates like that in uh, in US elections. Um, and in, I suppose there, is, there isn't really a, a big challenge by like any of the... There isn't a green candidate, is there? Um, certainly they're not really getting getting any headlines. The Libertarians aren't there. Is. I think I there think, is, but they just don't get much of a look in. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just become so focused... I mean, it's a very two-party system, like even more so than ours. Um, but it's it's it is all about uh, Trump and Biden and how much of a wonderful advert they are for the for the United States between them. 
um, and and the gentocracy or the increasingly gentocratic um, ruling class that that rules it. That's now it, it's uh, visually fighting before our eyes for control of the most powerful nation in the world. Um, you know, you're living through history, folks. So this this is the manifestation of it. So uh, enjoy it on Tuesday night. Um, I mean, I I think this will probably go out. This I hope we can get this out before the election, but I, I will very much enjoy watching um, what happens. I think from an objective think, point of view, I think as well. I think that my worry is that that if Biden wins, um, that'll be a signal to to sort of you know the the centre that uh, things are back to normal, and and we've had a bit of a blip the last few years of crazy politics. Um, but things are back to normal now, and, and Joe will keep a steady hand, um, and that the Democratic Party doesn't have to to um, much in the way I think maybe we're in danger of in the Labour Party in the UK that uh, we we don't need to address these deep structural issues in terms of our uh, how, how embedded we are in communities across the country um, about the erosion of our vote amongst the working class. Um, we we don't need to deal with large structural issues like inequality and climate change. And we, we can sort of go back to politics, as it were, you know, circa 2014. And I, th- I think that's my big worry about a Biden win and, and about the continued legacy of Starmer and the, and the Labour Party. And, and I think the, the left has to be, you know, as as on guard and, and as organised as it would have been if Trump wins. And, you know, we, we, have, we have to keep pushing and we have to keep pushing for action, radical action on climate change and inequality and poverty and all the rest of it. Yeah, I'll just come back on that. Um, The last time we were faced in this position where we had uh, a neoliberal versus a, uh, well, not necessarily a fascist, but demagogue, whatever you want to call Trump, um, it was said that you needed to support neoliberal in that case, is um, the case of the French presidential election in Macron. And the left did vote for Macron. They put him into power and they did oppose him with as much energy with which they supported him. And just as a little callback to our first ever podcast, we talked about the uh, the French pension strikes, which were um, going on at the time. Those are still ongoing. So it is possible to uh, effectively oppose uh, a, a neoliberal president or, or leader of government. Um, much more so than if the demagogue is is, is in charge. So uh, I'm quite optimistic because you still have people like AOC and that new generation of politicians who are coming through who will thrive, I think, um, much more effectively in an atmosphere where pol- the political process is allowed to is allowed to continue, uh, as opposed to a situation where under Donald Trump democracy is actively being subverted um, and <clears throat> potentially there is mass uh, civil unrest as a consequence of his actions. Um, so I am still very hopeful for a Biden victory, even if he is not the sort of president who really should be in charge in an age of uh, climate breakdown and mass global poverty and misery. Well, I think we can end on that note and uh, just hope for a, a better future and that Biden will be the one that can bring in some sort of Green New Deal, some transformation for the people of America, maybe some universal health care.
I doubt it, but you never know. On that note, goodbye from me. Uh, goodbye from Ollie. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Stay safe from, from Thursday and, and watch the election, I guess. Uh, goodbye from Callum. Good night, all. And goodbye from Bedley on top. Yeah, it's it's a wild week ahead of us in the US and the UK. So um, stay safe, everyone. And we will see you, hopefully, next time. <laughs>